Hello and welcome to episode 141 of the Fertility Podcast, a slightly different episode once again. If you check out the Fertility Podcast Facebook page, there is a video episode that I've shared, which is a podcast in person, a really interesting conversation I had with Joe and Sandra, who are co-founders of the National Fertility Society in the UK, talking about the work they do, training counsellors to become fertility counsellors, and educating us all in the fertility counsellors that we have access to, with events and information, they've got this directory, and we were due to talk in the normal way that I use for this podcast, but um, technology was against us. So we did a little video Zoom call, so I've shared the video as a kind of separate episode on Facebook, so go and check out the Fertility Podcast podcast Facebook page. I'll make sure there's all links in the show notes for this episode as well. If this is your first listen to the Fertility Podcasts, one thing that I really try to do is give you a real sense of all sorts of different things going on. And Joe and Sandra in their chat talk about ESHRAE, which is a humongous conference going on in Barcelona as we speak. This episode's going out to you on the 2nd of July 2018. And I was hoping to get there, but I haven't been able to. So I got one of my handy spies who is there to report back, uh, aka Cat Strawbridge, trying years on Instagram. Cat is in Barcelona for a couple of days so I asked her just to let me know what was going on here she is hi everyone it's Kat here I'm in Barcelona at the moment and I'm here for two reasons really the first thing is I took part in a meeting on Saturday which was an amazing thing to be part of actually because it included researchers clinicians and patient bodies And it's huge thanks to James Duffy, who works with the University of Oxford, um, also to Cochrane and the Royal Society of New Zealand. What their aim is, is to put together a core set of outcomes that all fertility-related studies have to report against. And the idea of that is that they can then be comparable. At the moment, a lot of research that's out there report on different things, whether that's live births, whether that's pregnancies, and so they can't be compared. So this will enable them to to actually be compared. And it is an ongoing piece of work, and it will take several years for it to be implemented fully, but it's a really, really positive step forward that it's happening at all. Um, So I just want to say huge thanks to everyone involved. It was great to be there as a patient um, and explain my side of the story, our side of the story, really, and talk about what's important to us rather than just people thinking, you know, the clinicians and the researchers thinking about the numbers. So, yeah, so that was fantastic to be part of. The other reason that I'm here is for ESHRA, and that stands for the European Society of Human Reproduction and Embryology. This is a huge, huge exhibition and meeting. There are over 11,000 representatives from clinics, from pharmaceutical companies, healthcare professionals, researchers, clinicians. You know, it's, it's an incredible opportunity for everyone within the industry globally to get together. It's the first time I've been here. It is the biggest trade show you have ever seen. It's amazing to be representing a patient body with a fertility network here. We don't have a stand, but we're talking to people. There were also some meetings yesterday where the patient bodies, you know, shared experiences of how they raise awareness. So to be having that conversation at a global level and for Fertility Network to be involved in that is obviously incredible.
So today I'm also going to be meeting with Fertility Europe. Fertility Europe is a collaboration of all patient bodies across Europe and they talk throughout the year, compare notes, share research, share ideas, share successes, but also they meet a couple of times a year when they can so that they can elect committees and, and discuss what, what is actually happening on the ground in their own countries. So that's it really. Thank you, Natalie, for asking me to talk about what is happening here because I think it's so important for the patients to realise you know, what, is, what is actually happening, what the fertility industry is like, and, and that they do get together and compare notes and talk at a global level. I'm here only for today now, so I'm going to get back to the exhibition, get back to the meetings, and I shall speak to you soon. Take care. Thank you, Kat. So you see, we like to keep you abreast of all developments within the fertility world. And my episode today is focusing on the importance of that emotional support. Kat was talking about the conversations happening around patient care. And I'm always keen to talk about how much we do reach out for help. Sometimes I talk to you and you tell me that, yes, you got support from the outset. Sometimes you say that at a crisis point in your fertility journey, you reached out and got support. And, and more often than not, you say you haven't really looked into it for whatever reason. And I know that, especially in the UK, we are still quite reluctant to accept this kind of help that is available, whether it's time, whether it's work restrictions enabling us to get to the appointments on time, maybe it's money. But the more I speak to the professionals, it is so apparent how essential this kind of support is. And it's such a shame it's not encouraged more through the clinics. I know they can only do so much and, and suggest so much to us. My next guest is a psychotherapist and she explains how she works with people, the ideal time that she would get to work with people. And I think we'll give you some really interesting things to think about of, of how this kind of help could work for you on your fertility journey. Have a listen. So I'm now going to welcome Shahira Kamal, who is the Managing Director of the International Clinic London. Shahira is a psychotherapist with over 12 years experience. And we're going to talk a bit about the work that she does with regards to fertility patients, people seeking her support whilst on their fertility journey. So Shahira, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I'm really interested in talking about Firstly, what you offer regarding fertility support, because I was thinking about our chat before we started talking and my own perception of a psychotherapist. And it seems really serious. It seems like something I'd need if I was really in trouble. And I think our perception of psychotherapy and the support that we can get and the benefits of it are probably a bit incorrect. Is that fair to say? Yes, that is fair to say. Um, well, I put psychotherapy and counselling actually as one continuum. So people who come to me can have short-term, very focused work, sort of five or six sessions on a particular issue or even a couple of sessions on a dilemma that they're facing. Or people can come to me for a longer term throughout their fertility journey um, uh, or throughout even their pregnancy and beyond that. So I see psychotherapy as a very open forum for accessing different types of support. Um, personally, I see individuals over 18 years old and I work with them quite intensively once a week, most of the time. Again, this is tailored depending on the client. And then we often also have couples meetings with that person's partner if, if there is a partner. Uh, in the International Clinic London, I also have couples therapists and family therapists who work with 
obviously the couple or the family as a unit rather than the individual. Okay. So as far as fertility support, what type of emotional support are you providing for people on their journey? Well, one of the things that I would like to offer is preparation for the journey. But unfortunately, very, very few people come to me before they start their journey or at the beginning of the journey. And I think that is really lacking because people go in blind um, or with very, very high expectations of what's going to happen and then are not prepared about the emotions that do come up. Um, but if they do come at the beginning, that gives us a chance to prepare them a bit, some psychoeducation on what might happen, the most common emotions that people go through through the different types of fertility treatment. And, and then they are better equipped to manage these emotions when they do come up. Often, uh, when I see clients, is when they've had a series of failed treatments um, and they're having difficulty managing that. Uh, they go into severe depression, uh, a sense of hopelessness, a loss of control, not knowing what to do. Another point of entry into therapy is when couples disagree on, which we spoke about briefly, when couples disagree about what to do next. Should we continue keep trying? Should we stop? Um, and when couples disagree, that causes obviously a lot of strain on the relationship. Uh, and that's when some people seek therapy. Because I had an interesting conversation with uh, Joe and Sandra from the National Fertility Society, which is uh, a, a, another um, interview I've shared on the Fertility Podcast Facebook page. And they raised a point which I, I'm interested in, in sharing with you, in, which I was so surprised about because they said that the experience that they had with people seeking out counselling was being affected by couples or individuals worrying that the clinic that they were going to were going to judge them on the fact that they needed they needed counseling and they needed that support when in my put in my opinion you'd think that the emotional support is as important as as the drugs that you're taking to make the treatment work definitely definitely i would agree with you but that's been my experience as well so people would be hesitant to seek counseling or therapy or even monitor themselves and what they are saying in counseling or therapy thinking that me as a therapist would break confidentiality and write this report that works against them in terms of the fertility treatment. Um, I'm not sure what's happening in the clinics. I don't think that's the message that's being given. Mm. Um, So I think this is just an old idea of they'll think I'm not well enough to go through the treatment. When, as you said, in fact, if you are in counselling and therapy, then that's an extra form of support that's helping you through the treatment. It actually can increase your chances of success or going through the treatment without as much stress or knowing how to manage the different scenarios that do happen. Because let's talk a bit about the kind of impacts uh, that treatment has on on people's day-to-day life, on their work, on their home life, from the experiences you've had from people that, you know, you're speaking and working with. Yeah. So I think one of the things that people need to know that it will it will impact most areas of their life. Mm. And that's when I, when I, what I was referring to earlier about preparation. Um, so I think people think, okay, it's just this treatment that will be these number of sessions and they have this calendar and that's it. But actually that's not the case. It does take over life in a way. A lot of people become distracted, become fatigued. Obviously there are also physical effects depending on the treatment and the age and the health of the clients. Mm. Um, 
but the physical symptoms also lead to more fatigue, can miss to missing work, missing family events. Um, so, so there is a lot of impact on daily life. A routine might get um, disturbed certain weeks. Um, appetite and sleep are disturbed. There's relationship strain. And I haven't even started on some of the common emotions that come up for people going through treatment. Um, so th this is just sort of the beginning uh, where it really shakes up the daily life of the individual. Because a lot of people that I speak to, and I know from my own um, experience as a former patient, you've got no point of reference with this. It's nothing like you've ever done before. Obviously, if you're unfortunately having to go through a cycle, having had a failed cycle, then you have some point of reference. But going into the unknown when you've got such high expectation on the outcome is a massive emotional burden, isn't it, to manage? Yeah, it, it is huge. And, and again, I go back to the point of preparation. Prepare yourself with the information because um, people are really unaware, unaware of what might happen, thinking that the first, say, if we're talking about IVF, the first cycle will be successful and that will be it. And there is this rosy colored um, vision which I really hope does happen to whomever is attempting that, but more often than not, it doesn't. And then they have to try another cycle or they have to seek different types of treatment. As I said, people limit the impact thinking it will just impact me and my partner. It won't impact my relationship with my friends, but it will because you have to make certain lifestyle changes or you're fatigued, so you have to miss certain social events. You're distracted both socially and at work. So, so it does sort of seep through most relationships and most areas of life. Well, also, I know from the numerous people that I speak to about where they're at in their journey, that there are just things you don't want to go to if it's a baby shower or maybe it's a family do or it's something that, you know, questions are going to be asked. And so you do withdraw. And even with friendships, um, I've spoken to lots of different people about the impact it's had on friendships when you feel you just can't talk about it. And that's something that people can bring to their sessions and talk through how to manage those kind of relationships with someone like you, can't they? Yes, definitely. Uh, and, and that's one of the big losses that people, I think, go through when they're going through fertility treatment. I used to be able to talk to my friends and now I can't. It's a very, very common sentence. Um, a few of the things that people find difficult with their friends, obviously, if someone is finding pregnancy easy, so a few of my clients would say everyone around me is getting pregnant. That's a generalization, but that's how she's seeing things that everyone is easily getting pregnant and as you said having the baby shower or the first birthday or and and then it's very difficult to sit with the feelings of jealousy resentment and anger so you withdraw or a client withdraws from that group of friends or that particular friend because she's unable to acknowledge these difficult feelings and doesn't have a forum to air them well therapy would then I would help her air these feelings, talk about them, normalize them, and then hopefully she might continue the friendship with that person, or she might have some boundaries or might have a talk. We've facilitated quite a few talks with friends when a person had had to explain, I'm taking a step back because of these things. I don't want to be around you because of these things, which has proven really helpful and actually brought the people together. Another thing that uh, a lot of women especially complain about is that every one of their friends and family has an opinion has an opinion of what they should do, how they should do it, certain things, oh, this helped me, this will work for you, drink that, go to this doctor. And 
as you know, fertility treatment is already very overwhelming and you're already trying to get to do so many things physically and psychologically, you don't need so much input and everyone having their own view of things. So, so that causes strains on friends and family. Finally, again, which I spoke to, uh, about with, in terms of couples disagreeing on whether they should continue or not, sometimes very involved family members, because I practice a lot, um, I can practice in Arabic as well, so I see quite a few Arab clients, so very involved family members, or with non-Arab clients, very involved friends who have an opinion on what, whether a couple should continue treatment or not. Isn't it enough? You've put your body through enough. Why don't you just adopt? So, so that causes a relationship strain as well, not understanding where that person is coming from. One of the things that therapy also can help is help the client find language to explain to other people what's going on. So emotional language, um, certain sentences that they can say that really express what they're going through and also puts a firm boundary. Don't come near this. This is what I'm going through. I'd like your support in this way. I don't want you to do this because it affects me negatively. So it actually arms the clients with language that they can use with different friends and family members. That is so powerful and so, I think, important because I was just thinking about a post I put on social media earlier saying um, something along the lines of, I hope you're not kind of holding back from making plans for the summer because often when you're going through treatment, you do kind of hold off. I remember we were looking to book a skiing holiday and at the time before we knew we had treatment, we were trying to get pregnant and I was I had never been and I wasn't sure whether we should book it in case I was pregnant and in the end we did book it and I did go and then obviously we discovered we needed to have treatment and I'm so pleased we did have the skiing holiday um but in the same way um telling people like I was doing to not put things on hold is difficult when you're trying to maybe avoid things that might bring up these kind of questions which is why when you've just said giving that kind of language arming yourself with those tools is is brilliant because you can just carry on almost you don't have to hide away do you and I think that's something that so many of us are, are guilty of is putting things on hold hiding away stopping those friendships just 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 literally head not head in the sand but protect self-protection which is is also really important on this journey Mm-hmm. It, it is important but as you said there, there needs to be a balance between withdrawing from everything completely as a way of self-protection um, and also not overstretching yourself and hiding hiding in plain sight where you're pretending everything is normal and going along and not telling anyone every, any, anything um, and for, for every person the balance will be different how many people they tell what they tell the different people, what they say at work, that balance is different. And again, something like counselling or therapy can help individuals find that balance for themselves. And just touching on, you said you work with a lot of Arabic clients. If people are coming to you and there's maybe a cultural impact um, on the treatment and they're concerned about talking about it, is there advice you can give in, in that sense if people may be saying that what you're doing isn't right or you know why are you doing this? Well, that goes back to, again, there's individual cases, but that goes back to my work in arming the client with certain language, how to tell um, an Egyptian mother to back off is <laughs> different from what I tell um, a, a British woman how to speak to her mother or help her find the language to speak to her mother. So, so I think it is a lot about understanding individual family situations and seeing what tools they need. But definitely culture plays a role. Again, in this thing of 
people's perceptions, people's opinions, especially about certain treatments more than others. So in the Arab culture, sperm donation is really, really frowned upon. IVF is now more accepted. So, and, and, and that adds an extra load on the individual or the couple. And, and they don't need extra pressure. They're already going through so many dilemmas themselves. Let's talk a bit more about the couples. You mentioned before about helping couples talking about stopping treatment maybe when they're not in agreement if there is that discord and despair I suppose because that decision to stop is is massive and I've talked about acceptance and trying to get your head around what life could be is that a point or is that too late I mean obviously in an ideal you'd see people much earlier on but if that's where people are at would you like a first tip be definitely come and talk about it with someone like me because that can just have you going around in circles can't it that is a very common point of entry into therapy um so as i said my preference is i really really hope more women or more couples seek some therapy or counseling early on as i said just just one or two sessions of preparation just to go in eyes wide open but a very common entry point into therapy is when couples disagree on when to stop or not and then the work is difficult and different because it is about facilitating. I work, as I said, with an individual. So say I'm working with a woman, I facilitate her emotional process and try and make sense of what has happened to her, the trauma of what has happened to her and what it would look like if she made the different choices, whether to continue or to stop. And then I would also have some couples meeting to facilitate very open communication between the couple, uh, between the two individuals. Um, and, and that's very, very sad work because you, I see in front of me people who were so full of hope, say a few months uh, before that or a year before that, and now uh, often they can't even talk to each other. Uh, they're very resentful, they're very angry, there might be some blame. Um, and there's also obviously the financial strain on the couple. Um, and that's often a reason to stop when someone else is saying, no, let's remortgage the house and let's sell the car and let's go to further lengths to support uh, another round of treatment. Um, so there's a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, and it is about taking some of the energy out and often it is also about looking at what has happened, maybe taking a pause in fertility treatment and looking at what has happened so far. Um, because that's when a lot of the feelings have accumulated and been unresolved. And when these feelings are talked about and aired and resolved, people can see things more clearly and then can come together again uh, and make some sort of compromise. Because, I mean, again, I've spoken to people who have decided, like you just said, to stop and have a bit of time out from it all because it is all so consuming. And I think that's so vital that people don't feel rushed into yet another cycle when they're not emotionally prepared. And, and I also feel that there's not that... And I know from the, again, people that uh, I've, I've spoken with that there isn't necessarily that guidance from the clinic uh, about the patient's emotional well-being. Are you ready to try again? Let's just have some time out. I don't think that communication happens, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And, and that's unfortunately the trend in most medical uh, departments. So let's have the next treatment. Let's have the next treatment. We hear that in I know it's not very related, but we hear that in cancer patients as well. Next treatment, next treatment, not really looking at quality of life. So the, I, I think it's the same goes for fertility treatments. Why not pause? But after failed treatment, the, I think the only thing the clinic says is here are your next options without a pause. Here is 
can go to another round or we can try a different type of treatment or this new medication has shown results here. And the couple then are also often caught up in that energy, in that, okay, let's do this. Oh, that's what we're doing next Tuesday. They're caught up in that energy without, because they're in it, it's very hard to pause and take a step back and say, maybe I need to pause for the summer. Maybe I need to rest my body a bit. Maybe we need to focus on our relationship a little bit. Um, again, therapy gives you that opportunity to... Therapy is sort of stepping outside of your life to look at what's going on. So it automatically gives you a pause, a different perspective and looking at the big picture. And how many men do you get to talk to about this kind of stuff? Uh, not many. The majority of clients who seek therapy are women. I speak to the men in the couples meetings that I facilitate. Um, I think in 12 years of therapy, I've seen two men who are my oh. primary clients. <laughs> <gasps> why why do you think men are so reluctant um it's so mixed isn't it um in general women seek therapy more than men that's across the board regardless of the presenting issue uh and then if the two men that i did see the the, the physical difficulty or the reason for infertility was theirs and so there was a lot of feeling of self-blame and inadequacy um but if the if there is unexplained infertility or it's the it's in the woman the, the difficulty is in the woman then they feel oh it's not my problem i don't need to go and talk about it a lot of men unfortunately hold that position i am generalizing i'm only basing this on my experience um but yeah this is very very unfortunate i know that more couples of made up of men and women do seek counseling. I think when they when they're ready they go to couples counseling possibly rather than individual counseling where they feel oh it's our problem let's look at it as a couple and maybe that's more uh, digestible for a lot of men. Um yeah I think I think the be the beginning of therapy and counseling is a very difficult process very very difficult. So if you could give kind of one takeaway to people listening about psychotherapy and how it can help them on their fertility journey, whether they've just found out there's a problem, whether they've had a failed cycle, whether they've tried everything and have had multiple failed cycles and are wondering what to do next, you know, what would, what would you say as far as obviously coming and talking to somebody like you? Well, one thing I, I say to a lot of people, it can't hurt to come and talk at least once. So don't be scared, just come in once, let's have a conversation and see what we can do. Therapy, in my experience, has helped most people through their fertility journeys. Um, as I said, in different ways, whether in getting perspectives and making certain decisions in managing relationships and managing the primary relationship with their partners. So it's not, it's not okay to go through this alone, you don't need to and therapy can help. Shahira, it's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you for your time. If you're looking for a supplement to take whilst trying to conceive, Pregnacare Conception and Wellman Conception provide advanced nutritional support. They include zinc, vitamin D, and the exact levels of folic acid recommended for women by the UK Department of Health. 
Pregnant Care is expert nutritional care while trying for a baby. And to find out more, visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash shop. So to find out more details about Shahira from the International Clinic London and also Joe and Sandra from the National Fertility Society, check out the show notes for this episode, which are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash help. I'll also put Kat trying his Instagram details there so you can follow her and Eshray so you can just get more of an overview of, of the conference that we spoke about at the beginning of this episode. Do go and look at the show notes because I really hope they are useful. And also there's all details there of the Ultimate Fertility Guide, which is our new fertility directory, bringing all areas of the fertility industry together, along with live streams of which we have one today on the 2nd of July. The next one is the 10th and 11th of July. All the details are in the show notes and at the ultimate fertility guide facebook page i won't bombard you with any more information for now thank you for listening though and until the next time 